0: Life Audio.
1: Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always, in studio by my good friend, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's just you and me this morning, no Ronald. Uh, he indicated that he 's at a three hour meeting from from nine to twelve his time uh it It sounds suspiciously like a grad school thing um I feel like only only in academia would you meet for three hours and expect people to pay attention and be engaged um so shout
2: out to ronald or uh, or have- like reformed conferences. That's true. Because I'm pretty true. sure, I mean, may it rest in peace forever and ever, amen, uh, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure the sermons at T4G were about three hours long. I think I think so,
1: which which flouts any and all rules of, like, human communication and decency. They're like, studies have shown people can only pay attention for 30 to 45 minutes, so
2: we'll make our sermon three hours. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, there's classic. a there's an
2: interesting like juxtaposition between the preponderance of tweed and the lack of human communication skills mm-hmm. and reform conferences in academia heavy on the tweed. So uh, much tweed l- light on the decent communication skills.
1: Yeah, that's so true. So much tweed, so many meetings and they're so long pipe. I want to take a break. Actually, I don't want to. We're going to because we have to. Uh, As per our contract with the nameless, faceless corporate entities that we're dealing with. But after the break, I want to come back. I want to talk about um, this dynamic that you observed in me, wherein I talk a lot of crap about things that I've been involved with for a long time and also kind of love. We'll be back. All right, Piper, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk about publishing today because there, there's been some interesting news in the publishing industry. Uh, we're going to talk about self-promotion, etc. But you pointed out something fascinating on the air, which was, I make fun of academia um, despite loving my job. And I really make fun of publishing despite enjoying writing books and publishing them. Um This was a fascinating observation. I'd never quite put those two things together. Um, Do you have anything more to add or say
2: about that? Well, yeah, I I mostly just kind of wanted to to, to peel the layers of uh, your psyche back to to kind of figure (laughs) this out. Because, you know, there are certain things you love and are devoted to that you don't make fun of. Like, you don't, you know, when your family comes up on here, you speak... With great affection, as, mm-hmm. as exactly as we would hope you would. When your church yeah. comes up, like you'll yeah. make fun of the church, which I think kind right. of falls in this category because you've been part of the church for, you know, ever. Uh, yeah. But not your church, because, again, it kind of falls into the, the family category in terms of devotion and seriousness. But, yeah. yeah, academia and publishing and then maybe the broader church, You you love them. Mm -hmm. And you talk so much crap about them. Like if somebody, (laughs) we could pull so many sound bites and we were basically, we could basically be like, Ted hates all publishers. Yeah. While in fact, you keep going back to them to put out books, like with, with significant regularity. Yeah. It's
1: a weird dynamic, isn't it? And it's, it's one of those things where like, I think when you've been with something for so long. Right, so like publishing, I'm going on twenty years with that now, um in some form or fashion, almost twenty years with books like i've I've done it, I've been around the block enough, you see all the things that are good, but you also see all the things that are super dumb, and I think the internet has made it worse. I think it's less cool to be an author now than it was twenty years ago, and really like you know, Twitter and Instagram and self-promotion has made it less cool, which we'll get into because we want to talk about that. But, um, yeah, I see all the stupid things about it and all the stupid books that still get greenlit and published. And I feel a certain, and and hear me out on this and I want to hear you on this. I almost feel pipe a certain like moral obligation to make fun of it. Um, (laughs) because as everybody's Tweeting the stupid pictures of their stupid next books that don't need to be written and that are gonna sell like 900 copies I feel a certain moral obligation and I include my books in that in that like spectrum right'm I'm, I'm not saying that my books are any different but I feel a certain moral obligation to every once in a while be like hey this is really dumb like in case you've forgotten this is ridiculous um where are you at on that do you feel? Some of the same
2: kind of um uh, urges in in that space uh to yeah to a degree i the i mean th- my, this podcast is sort of my outlet for most of that yeah um it, in the sense of most of what we've done for the last eight years is make fun of things that we mostly love or things adjacent to what we love, sort of the the dumb yeah. stuff about what we love yeah. but yeah, I, I don't know that I would call it a moral obligation. I think mm-hmm. what it is is, and, and I noticed this from you specifically when it comes to academia. It's mm-hmm. the mindset of we're still doing this, like this, yeah. this again. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I thought, I thought we were, I thought we were going to grow and improve, and instead we're running this, this same dumb idea back again, and. Yeah. I see some of that in publishing where you're like, really, we, we needed mm-hmm. another book on this or yeah. we're doing the, we're doing the launch team thing again, or, yeah. you know, pick your favorite, you know, whatever the thing is, your favorite non-working marketing strategy. Yeah. We'll, I mean, the, we'll do that again. like we've talked about the only good marketing strategy is being famous already. So yes, um, that's right. <laughs> it's the, it's the one that works. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, there, there is a sense in which it's like, this is dumb, but also when you're part of it, there's, there's also to play the game you have to play the game like by certain yeah, rules yeah. we have to play by certain marketing rules even if we are 100% sure they're yeah. not going to work very well like, like today for example What's i'm going to i'm, I'm going to be cranky
1: about a thing that's happening this afternoon wonderful go for it this this podcast that i'm guesting on this afternoon to promote our new book which if if you haven't picked up a copy yet uh, run to amazon.com, type in happy rant book and, uh, purchase yourself a copy. But I'm, I'm guesting on this podcast this afternoon pipe. And I know you've done these. Um, and I don't think Ronald has done any of them. He'll, he'll be up next time. But, uh, I know that it's not going to move the needle at all. Um, but I'm, I'm saying yes to doing it in part because it's part of playing the game. Right. Um, and you have to say yes and what was hilarious about it was that the publicist was like yeah they'll need about an hour and a half of your time i'm like an hour and a half for a podcast joe
2: rogan's podcast what are we doing exactly
1: like if it's oprah winfrey or joe rogan or pat mcafee the answer is yes for everyone else the answer is no way they're getting 90 minutes of my time in the middle of the day but um to your point it 's just how the game is played, and uh, it 's ridiculous and it 's stupid, but we say yes to what we can say yes to. I think pipe i 've identified it and i 've identified the energy in both academia and publishing that i that I like making fun of. So both of those realms of life are realms of life that have a super high quotient of dudes with no talent who also take themselves super seriously. Yes, and it's I will the, always want to make fun of that part. That's the yeah, 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 That's the thing. Yes, absolutely. Dudes that are utterly convinced of their own like monumental talent or virtue, and who want to bloviate about it. I'm just like, I will always make fun of that. Like, I, I'll be on my deathbed making fun of that, um, probably to my detriment. And I, I wonder. And th- this is a moment for you to maybe put your pastoral hat on a little bit. I wonder if I'll ever feel convicted about this because I do feel convicted about things.
2: Like I, I think I hope you're actually the only one on this podcast who has ever reached out (laughs) after recording to say, Hey, can we cut something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm capable of feeling convicted, but I, I feel
1: at this moment, like no conviction on, on making fun of academia or publishing, because I think anywhere where there's that many self important people Again, it's almost a moral obligation. Like, hey, I have to make fun of this. You know, uh, I, I got to do it.
2: But um, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know that you like. You should feel conviction <clears throat> over doing something that is uh, that is harmful or hurtful or tearing down. But you're not. Mm-hmm. like If you went after an academic, you know, right. all of a sudden this is a personal thing. If you're talking about an industry aren't we, aren't we sort of, I mean, that's where there is sort of a moral obligation to be like, Hey, the way we're doing this industry is dumb. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, especially when you're part of it, if you're on the outside throwing stones, you might be kind of a a jerk or a a rude commentator. But like, I mean, I I was in the the Christian publishing industry for 14 years and I, I made as many or more of these jokes when I was in it. I yeah. went into marketing meetings with authors. So I was managing a marketing mm-hmm. team talking to my team about how dumb these ideas were like <laughs> this. Yeah. I'm, and I may have been in the minority cause I know people who drank the Kool aid and they were like, they were just certain that this was going to be the bestseller and the author was going to be so excited about this. And I was like, none of us mm-hmm. are excited about this. This is the necessity. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah, when, when you're part of an industry, your job is to kind of fix it. And if you can't yeah. fix it, don't lose sight of where it's ridiculous. Right, right. And yeah, that like these are things
1: in which we're both heavily invested, you know. Um like I want to see academia work because I want to keep my job, you know, like I don't want the whole thing to, you know, become obsolete in a few years even more obsolete than it is currently. And uh the book business, we would like to see work because we're in it, but one of the things pipe I want to talk about today is there was this big penguin random house thing, and there was this all this information and all this data leaked on basically how bad most books do. And you texted a figure last night and you can fill in the cracks on on some of the specifics on this story. And I saw a figure, I ran across the figure a couple days ago. Like there are a lot of books that fail to sell even like a dozen copies. See, I, and then, I
2: think that's a bad stat. Like, I don't think yeah. that's actually real. But there were some others that, based on my observation, I'm like, that seems a lot closer to the truth. And that i yeah. You and yours was
1: yeah. There were a bunch of a, a bunch of books. Like the majority of books never reached 2,000 sales, and 2,000 is kind of a threshold where I don't know. Maybe you cannot be embarrassed by it, and you can feel like okay. So there were some people in the world who weren't like friends and family who bought my book um but most books don't even get there and it struck me as very interesting that like all these swings get taken in publishing and all the same authors are doing all the same crap in terms of promotion and self-promotion but it just doesn't work um yeah your thoughts on that dude take this wherever you want to take it because
2: i think it's fascinating So, uh, Publishers Weekly shared an article yesterday, um, well, yesterday for when we're recording, last week for listeners, um, basically kind of breaking down how these statistics get out of whack. And so that's where, that's where I got the idea. I'm like this whole, most books don't sell a dozen copies. That's not right. Um, right. But they, what they pointed out was that these stats are breaking down every book into every format. Yeah. So if there's a hardcover, a paperback, an ebook like multiple ebooks yeah some of those formats might only sell a few copies or whatever and you know audiobooks don't sell for certain books etc so the statistics Mm -hmm. get skewed but that stat of 90 percent not selling 2000 is I, i think that's pretty close to real um yeah i think it is too and having released a book in 2020 which is a terrible time it was not a good time to release a book because while everybody had more time nobody was you know had the mental capacity to read because we were all freaking out about stuff right and, and it it struggled to hit 2000 uh i don't mm-hmm. even know where it's at now i haven't really paid that close of attention but yeah and and i'll say like as an author that made me feel really crappy like yes you know yeah. selling 2000 copies is in my mind that's a failure yeah and yeah so, no, it yeah it just it I doesn't think it is And and I know you've had some that have done really well and probably all the way down into the sub-2000 category. And when you look at that, it's just like, oh, why did I bother? Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. It's interesting you say that.
1: And to your point, like, I've had a lot that have probably been in that sub-2000 category. And then, like you said, some that have done really well. And at the risk of sounding, like, too touchy-feely by half here, like, I've almost... Shut. I've almost like closed off that part of my heart, if that makes sense. Like the part of your heart that cares about how well a book does, like at some point pretty early in my career, it was probably uh, after Tyson, I did a couple of football books that reviewed really well, but didn't sell. And I was really hurt by that. Like I was really kind of torn up by how how those those books didn't do well. And I think at that point, I was just like, you know what, that, that part of my heart, my psyche, whatever you want to call it, is, is closed, which is good in the sense that I no longer get devastated when books don't sell, but I also no longer get excited about the, the possibility that they might. And I do miss that, you know, I miss the like Kool-Aid drinking pitch meeting, you know, <laughs> feeling good, feeling satisfied, you know, I, I miss that moment. Um, but I don't miss feeling devastated and embarrassed when my book doesn't do well. So, I don't know, man. I don't know if I would go back, but I get it. I totally get what you're saying about the sub 2000 book and feeling like what's the point. But I would I would say this to you as a fellow writer, but also someone who admires your work. I read that book and it was really good. Um, and so In that 2000, there are people who needed it. There are people who enjoyed it. There are people whose bookshelf it will live on in perpetuity. Um, And I think you can be satisfied in a job well done. Um, And I know you know all this stuff. But it it sort of gets back to do I love the work or not? Right. And if I love the work, then... And if I feel like I did my level best with what I had to
2: work with, then I can feel like I, I, it was a success, you know, and it, have it yeah. not be a platitude. Well, and, and yeah, and thank you that, I mean, that wh- what I have learned, so, I mean, I, I published my first book in 2014, maybe so eight years ago mm-hmm. and have, you know, I've written four and a couple Bible studies since then with varying levels mm-hmm. of success. And I have learned that it is the interactions of people to whom the book meant something, yeah, that that are the it's the proof in the pudding. Like, it did yeah. this book meet a reader in a in a meaningful way? Uh, totally. If so, well worth the time. And if not, yeah, <laughs> well then I might have wasted my time. But and I, yeah. and I have gotten really encouraging feedback. It's the the failure aspect is a pretty narrow subs. Like, I don't feel like it was a waste of time to write the book or any of the books that have sold well or or worse. It it is it, it but but taking a step back <clears throat> step back and mm-hmm. kind of looking at it in the scope of the industry and I think it's kind of the way you pose the question like publishers are throwing stuff against a wall to see what sticks and kind of being part of that is sort of yeah. a, like this this feels weird to me you know yeah there, it's a yeah. because writing it, it uh, for people who care about it isn't inherently. Yeah you're pouring investment into this thing. And I don't want to, I don't want to over romanticize it. You know, there are a lot of people who are like, you cut a vein open and bleed on the page. And I'm like, I mean some, (laughs) but mostly it's hard work and I, you know, I want to do it well and I care about the message. Let's just leave it in those categories. Yeah. That is not how publishers treat books because they can't, they, you know, it, it's a little bit like if you, if you're, if you're a family with 20 kids, you know, you could probably have a different relationship with your kids than a family with two or four, you know, that's true. Yeah. You can't give them all one-on-one attention and things like that. Yeah, And so while there's a, there's a creative and industry dissonance between the author, this is my passion project and the publisher going, well, I don't know, maybe it'll sell some <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, essentially yeah. approaching it that way. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't, I don't think there is a way forward out of this. I I don't think, I don't think it's not like, there's not a clear path forward to like, oh, let's fix this because, because releasing written content has become utterly democratic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anybody can put out anything anywhere. Anybody can self publish. I think working with publishers has merit. I still think it's a benefit, but it's not a sales benefit necessarily And or a financial benefit necessarily, you know, like there's, yeah, you, you, if you sell 500 self-published copies versus 1500 copies through a publisher, you're going to make more money on those 500. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And,
1: and, you know, we basically, I've done that model a few times too, through gut check and you're right, you know, and, and I think doing you know, gut check, having my own little label or whatever, and just doing passion projects over there. There is a sense of satisfaction. And I also think Pipe, I think you're like me in this. I have a really warm relationship with the books in my life that I like. Um and, and I'm I'm talking now as a consumer. So really I I own every book I've ever liked, starting from Childhood all the way through now like they're on shelves in my office yep. they're on shelves in my house they're laying by my bed you know they're just kind of everywhere they're out in my smoke room like they're they're literally everywhere in my house and i I think of them warmly you know so when I think about putting out a book either on gutcheck you know on gutcheck's label or with a traditional publisher and I think about it selling. Twelve hundred copies, let's say, which we would call a failure. I, I do think of, well, that's probably going to live in twelve hundred people's homes, and maybe they'll have a warm relationship with it. You know, maybe, you know, they look at it and they enjoy it, and they remember when they read it for the first time or whatever. And they and the, and it's the sort of romantic part of publishing that I haven't killed in my heart yet, and that I hope I never do. You know, I, I hope I never lose the romantic. You know kind of side of it but um pipe let's take a break and i don't want to hear you on that and i want to ask you some questions about self-promotion which is kind of how all this started um in terms of our talk about it let's take a break
0: what impacts you every day there is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives
1: All right, man, we're back. Um, So I have a friend. I have a friend. She's an author. Uh, She does fiction. And she's kind of been indicating lately, she's been on this like hamster wheel that all authors are on of like self promotion and tweeting about it and, you know, sharing images on Instagram of the cover and kind of doing, building this whole world of I'm the sweet successful author with a super vibrant life and you know i hear a lot of authors indicate that doesn't work and i'm really just tired of doing it you know what i mean i'm tired of doing image curation via twitter and instagram in hopes of selling a book that that the publisher's not putting a lot of support behind and that may or may not even sell anyway And it seems like kind of everybody our age does this, and it's just part of life, but nobody's satisfied with it, and it's not working. Um, So what do we do, Pipe?
2: That is the 64, I was going to say $64 million question, but since neither of us Mm -hmm. will ever see a fraction of that, we'll call it the $64 question. Um, I love it. That sounds more realistic. Yeah, that's more, more in line with Christian publishing these days. Mm. I don't know because, so, yeah, I mean, we had the Happy Rant book come out what feels like 11 years ago when it in reality it was about six <laughs> yeah. weeks. Um, yeah. I have, I have run out of things to post about it. <clears throat> sure. And that means that as far as, if anybody begins to follow me today, henceforth, yeah. they will either have to do a historical dive into my social media accounts Or maybe someday when Harvest House puts it on Kindle sale, I'll share about it again. That kind of, and and so it's Mm. just like, it is gone. But the alternative is being a pushy, obnoxious, Mm. curated, self-promoting blowhard who's like, hey, this book still exists. Hey, I'm super excited about this book. Hey, have you bought this book yet? Hey, this retailer has it on for this sale. Just constantly. And nobody likes that person. Or, I mean, maybe, right. maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't like that person, which means I don't want to be that person. The yeah. I was talking to a, a friend at church yesterday, and we were talking about a whole other area of life. And I was just, I, I have this kind of hard and fast built in, uh, treat others the way you want to be treated, which means I'm not going to do a yeah. thing that annoys me when other people do it, nor am I going to ask somebody right. to do a thing that annoys me when other people do it. So yeah. I can only post about a book in a way that, if I saw, let's say, my friend Russ Ramsey, who is an mm-hmm. author, pastor, not, I mean, similar walk of life to me, great guy, yeah. really good author, if I see him post about a book and it annoys me, I'm not going to do it that mm-hmm. way. If yeah. I see him post about a book and I think, that's that's effective. I like that. Yeah. That sounds like Russ. I'm going to do it that way. Yeah. So there's sort of the, like, I'm going to put myself in his shoes. How would he see this? How do I see it when mm-hmm. he does it? Okay. I'm going to try to balance it this way. But... The author-influencer thing doesn't work. It doesn't work from a sales perspective because there's an inherent difference. I mean, unless you're doing like, I mean, who is I? I I read an article recently and it was, I think it had to do with a musician Mm -hmm. or maybe it was a TikToker or something, but millions of followers, huge platform. They released a book and it sold like garbage. Why? Yeah. Because people who are watching forty-five second videos of somebody putting on makeup or being funny or whatever, right, are not interested in spending twenty-nine ninety-nine on a hardcover book that requires an actual <laughs> investment of time. I know it, it, it's a yeah, it's, it's a different universe. We've almost trained people out of reading. So doing yes. the whole internet influencer thing to sell books is like it, it's such a weird leap. I can't think of any other like industry that would do that.
1: Well, I can Um, like
2: youth, youth ministry does that, you know, talk about that. It's like, come and get, come and get like covered in, in, you know, chalk and, and goo and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to talk about justification by faith alone. You know, like, wait,
1: exactly. what what just happened here? So, right. You're still sweaty from like, you know, capture the flag or, or ultimate Frisbee or whatever. But yeah, now sit down and listen to 45 minutes on you know, Paul's letter to the Galatians,
2: you know? Yeah. um, We just, the fact that adults are doing it, uh, yeah. And honestly, it probably works better for kids because kids probably have a little bit more mental elasticity to be like, yeah, I don't mind sitting here in my own sweat and, and slime and listening to somebody talk to me about what's meaningful. Uh, whereas adults are like, no, I'm, I'm here for mindless entertainment. And now you're asking me to invest money in something that's not mindless and probably less entertaining.
1: Well, yeah, it's crazy, Pipe. So, yeah, effectively, social media has kind of killed, you know, we've got now almost 20 years of data on this or 15 years. It's kind of killed reading. It's kind of killed thoughtfulness. It's definitely killed, like, mental quiet. And 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 yet it's the self-same platform that publishers have been enamored with as a way to sell books. You know, it's ridiculous. Like, it's it's really a ridiculous leap to make. And what's interesting to me is that when social media first started, I definitely remember publishers being like, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Now we've got a direct link to our audiences and we don't have to do in store signings anymore. We don't have to pay for tours. Um, like even the, and we talked about this a couple of ago, like the old paradigm of like doing radio shows to promo your book has kind of been replaced by podcasts, but like, So, this publisher that we're working with now on the Happy Rant book, like they've ostensibly partnered with a PR firm, and that's resulted in us doing like three podcast appearances in six weeks. And I'm like, somebody's losing their shirt on this deal. Um, You know, and that's not a shot at anybody. It's just sort of like kind of an industry reality. Like, it's not. Yeah, even that's not working, you know? Um, Because the whole thing about podcasts is. You know, with, with with us being the prime example, it's more fun to just get on and talk about whatever you want than to have some like derpy author on and ask him a bunch of boring questions about his boring book. <laughs> you know, like um so I don't I don't blame people for not having us on. It's just it's weird. It's weird to be a part of something that just isn't working and <laughs> hasn't worked for a long time. You know? Yeah. How do I end up in these
2: things? Yeah, it's it's it, and it, and it feels like yeah it's like the merry-go-round you can't get off too cuz you're like here we go yeah. again there's going to be some podcast interviews and like it we don't have any idea how many people listen to these podcasts like i know how many people listen to right. our podcast every other podcast is a grand mystery to me which is part yeah. of the social media um drug is that yeah. image projects success And so, I mean, in the same way that people assume that podcasters are rich because, you know, because we have a name that is known, I assure you, we make almost no money off of this podcast listeners. You know, (laughs) know, we joke about it. We are now, you know, with a a company that drops in ad breaks every seven seconds and tries to sell you, you know, Viagra and dog food and, you know, socket wrenches. (laughs) Exactly. But we don't make that much money. And we make even less
1: money than we did before, (laughs) you know, somehow. Yeah. I mean, it's Uh,
2: nobody makes money off this. Nobody makes money off of TikTok, YouTube, whatever. Like people want to be influencers because they have the impression you make money. Not really. And so it's this it's that impression that, so like the publicist is doing her job. She's working hard. She's trying to get us on these shows, whatever. So we get on these shows. I don't know if 12 people are listening to that. She doesn't know if 12 people are listening to that. And, and, but there's the impression of we, we've been on half a dozen shows or 25 shows. I mean, like when I, when I released the pastor's kid, I did so many podcast interviews and that book got sold. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, better than 2000 by a fair margin, but yeah. But it's been out for 8 years. So, you know, I would yes. hope so. But- that one was a great like ready-made for
1: podcast type of book. And it it dropped at a time when like if you were a white dude between the ages of 18 and 60, you had a podcast. Um yeah, that that was perfect storm for that. But yeah, even that doesn't translate into sales, you know. So like yeah, getting excited about spending an hour and a half on some random dude that i don't know's podcast to sell maybe two copies
2: um i would rather spend that hour and a half doing almost anything else here's here's what um, i do when i go into those shows i don't think of it as book promo i'm just gonna have the most entertaining conversation that i can you know there you go because like me talking about a book endlessly is less likely to sell a book than me being somebody people enjoy listening to that's true. Yeah, that's very true. So if if I can say something helpful, if I can be if be witty, be whatever, you know, kind of whatever yeah. the tone of the podcast is, like I was on one for uh, recently that and, and they wanted to talk a lot more about like they took the, the little bit out of the Happy Rent book about deconstruction. And that was kind of the yeah. whole theme of the conversation. I was like, great. We don't even need to talk about the book. We'll just talk about deconstruction. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about doubt. And then at the yeah. end, they were we, they kind of wove something back in, and they, they asked some questions about humor and winsomeness, and that kind of tied the book mm-hmm. back in. And I was like, "Well, eighty percent of that conversation stands on its own two feet. Like yeah. it's just a useful conversation for people who are trying to help, especially like high school and college students deal with faith struggles." I was like, "Okay, that's that's yeah. a good conversation." Mm-hmm. What I've realized is that. I mean, I, I made the joke earlier, the only effective marketing strategy is being famous already. Even that has its yeah. limitations. It there there is no effective way to sell books. Yeah. There just isn't. The only yeah. effective way to sell books is is for them to get into somebody's hand and for them to there just be sort of less like some books catch fire. Yeah. And some books most books don't. And so yeah. it's not social media. It's not advertising. It's not podcasts. It's not any of those things. It's just if people like it enough to tell their friends and put it in their hands. Like, oh, you've got to read this book. When somebody's like, have you, you know, I'm looking for the next book to read. What have you read anything that's interesting? And they're like, right. yes, you need to read, you know, Beartown by Frederick Bachman or whatever. Right. Like, it just, it just rolls off your tongue. Killer book, by the way. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. Everything he writes is really good. But, um, definitely. But the other problem is you can't, not do the promotion. Yeah. You, like if we yeah. I tried that with one of my books. I didn't uh-huh. get endorsements. I uh-huh. I didn't, you know, I would accept podcast stuff, but like there was no advertisements for it. Like it was just pretty minimal. Yeah. And and it's out of print now. Um <laughs> it, Yeah. It, it sold more than <laughs> 2000 copies, but it's out of print now. And Yeah. And uh and so I kind of own the rights and have sort of pseudo self-published it just put it back out there, but it Yeah. <laughs> You have to play the game to, to, to reach the floor. Yeah. But playing the game doesn't get you above the floor. Yeah. And I think, you know, to bring it back
1: around to self-promotion, there are people who really like playing the game. Um, and playing the game brings them a level of satisfaction that I just can't relate to. But I I know people like this, dude. I know people who love playing the game and they love being the author and they love like, Hey, I got a new book coming out. Everybody, you know, I'm super humbled to have this book coming out, meaning I'm super proud of having this book coming out. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) you know, it's ridiculous. And we know that the book won't sell any copies, but maybe their Twitter following doesn't know that. But, um, Yeah, it's strange, dude. And and I'll say this, and then we'll we'll take a quick break, and I've got one more quick question for you. I always want to feel romantic about it. You know what I mean? Like, the day I don't feel romantic about books, and I don't always feel romantic about it for myself, but I I still, in general, have a romantic kind of outlook on books, is the day I need to get out of it. You know what I mean? Like, And I've, I've been close a few times. Um But I don't know. I still really like them. And I still really hope other people like books. Um, And I think we need them at the risk of really sounding like a tweed academic douchebag right now. Like, I think we need books now in the kind of electronic world that we live in. They have more value now than they've ever had, you know, as a way to just be quiet, if nothing else. And
2: uh, I'm here for that. Well, and. I mean, you talked earlier about how social media has killed reading. I, I think that's yeah. true in the sense, like, there, there's sort of a generational sense. There is a mm-hmm. generation of people for whom sitting down and reading three, four, five chapters of a book over the course of an hour or two is foreign, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's not, it, or, or at least it's not their instinct. It's not their go-to. Sure, and, yeah. But at the same time, book sales overall are not down. So- Sales per per book I think are down significantly in the last 15 years. Yeah total book sales are up. I mean in part that's huh. because publishers are cranking out four times as many books as they used to or something like that. but yeah, like I'm not worried about the future of books. Yeah. but it has become in the same way that like blogging used to be a thing that if you started a blog and wrote with any level of adequacy, you would develop a significant following. Now, if you start yeah. a blog, like your mom won't even read it. She's got more interesting things to do. So it, authoring is a little bit like that right now, but yeah. there's going to come another side to this because there is always value in putting out uh long thoughts written yeah. well. Yeah. it is always a benefit to society to faith to entertainment mm-hmm. to you know imagination to kind of whatever genre you're in it, we need good books we always need good books yeah. and so like we should always keep putting them out they're just yeah. we're just in this sort of like purgatory of of sales like how how do we get them in people's hands i don't have any idea yeah but, yeah. but we can't not put them out
1: yeah no you're right um You're absolutely right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do one more quick thought.
0: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact.
1: Alright, Pipe, we're back. And we should wrap this and do a Patreon soon. But um My thought as you were talking about the industry and how it still works in ways in which it doesn't work I think for pastors and for academics, it still really works as just a resume slapper. You know what I mean? So For a certain kind of pastoral guy, like having a book is really important to them. So even if the book sells 800 copies, because we all know that it's crappy and flimsy and he's not going to say anything, you know, interesting or important, it's still important for that guy to have a book. You know what I mean? And and it's even more so for academics where the, the one thing I do appreciate about academia is that like... Most academics go into book publishing like realizing up front no one will read this. And there's this weird sense of I'm doing this just as a resume slapper and if anyone reads it it's a it's a bonus. So I do think the book still like serves a very tangible purpose to those two people groups or just people with egos who want to have a persona. And who still kind of are enamored with the whole, like, I'm a writer thing.
0: Yeah.
2: On, um, on principle, I, I mean, and I realize there's very little that's principled about publishing books. But on principle, yeah. I hate books that are written for the author. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, all books are written for the author. But, but like, the author should be seeking to give a gift to a reader. A, yeah. You know, a gift of laughter, a gift of thoughtfulness, a gift of encouragement, a gift of changing perspective, like something of mm. value. And when you're writing yeah. it for you, that's called journaling and keep it yeah, to yourself because nobody gives a crap. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. it, it, the, the, the sort of this, this self, which is which is why most celebrity memoirs are garbage yeah. because they're written from the perspective of I'm so proud of me. Like, well, yeah. yeah, I'm not. Also not that right. entertained. Like you you, you right. are not the gift to me. You needed to do something good with, in,
1: in print. Yeah. Dude, you know you know what I feel romantic about, which I think we'll never have again? It's the whole like reclusive writer persona. <laughs> and I feel like when I was first getting into writing, like one one of the first authors I ever really loved was JD Salinger, who was the like recluse is recluse, you know. Um, and so that whole idea of like, I'm an author, I live in the world of words. I have no interest in promoting. I'm all about the craft, all about the art. Like that, that persona was really attractive to me. And, you know, low, these many years later, we're 20 years down the road from like when I thought that was super cool. And now really being an author is all about the opposite of that. It's all about like. I set an alarm on my phone so that I can tweet about myself again what well, you know and, and it's like
2: yeah and then it's it's come yeah. so like bizarrely full circle that there are whole Instagram accounts about like reclusive writing retreats yeah, you know it's like exactly this, this little fishing shack in the woods in northern you right. know Alberta it would be yeah. perfect for writing your next great Canadian novel or something like that R- you know like Right. But, and we've lit it perfectly for
1: all the selfies that you'll take of yourself yeah, how, while you're how writing. How did you Canadian get that mail?
2: restoration hardware chair into that fishing shack? I don't understand. <laughs> um, exactly. All right. I have I have one last uh, one, one more question and it's, it, yeah, came, it came up because, and I'm sure you run into this situation. So mm-hmm. serving at a church, one of mm-hmm. the many things I, I get to do that I really love doing is just talking to people about whatever's going on in their life. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I, Often have conversations with people who are dealing with issues of doubt or issues mm-hmm. issues of sort of dissatisfaction or these different kinds of things, and I've written books on these things. Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how mm-hmm. douchey is it for me to <laughs> give them my book to help them yeah. with the thing that, like, it's genuinely written to do? Yeah. But coming from me, it. Now, yeah, I don't know. I have I have uh, qualms about this. Let's say so. Like how 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 yeah. terrible is it to be like, hey, here's a book for you. Because I, when I do it, if I do it, I feel like that scene in What About Bob, where yeah. where Leo yeah. Marvin is like Bob. There's a book that's recently come out. Hmm. Let me see. And then he just runs his finger down the shelves upon shelves of his own book, and then pulls one out. Ah, here it is. That's, Dude, that's one of my one of my favorite shots in that yes. whole movie is the shot
1: of Dr. Leo Marvin's bookshelf, like just jam-packed with all of his books. And I get that. Like that that's the best way to describe that feeling. And it's funny, like when you texted me that question, so I have I have little piles of my own books in various places in my house, and from time to time, like this happened Saturday, like a a buddy came over, um, single guy in his late 30s, came over to smoke a cigar, you know, we were chatting, having a great time and um, he's like, oh, is that the new Happy Rant book? And he 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 totally wasn't trying to get a free copy. Like, he wasn't trying to be a chief evangelical. But I was like, oh yeah, grab one, you know, and it was adjacent to like one of the old adoption books or whatever and I was like, yeah, grab one of those too. So I enjoy doing that. I enjoy like Sometimes sending people home from my house with a couple of free books th- that I can tell they're delighted by or interested in, you know, like, yeah. oh, wow, yep. you know, I-, I listen to your show or, you know, we've adopted or whatever. And and so I'll always try to send people home with copies of things that I know <laughs> they'll like and little kids with a graphic novel. So we'll have like little kids come over for small group and, you know, I'll, I'll slide them a graphic novel, which I think is in a different category than what you're describing. But I have done that thing, too. And, yeah, like, occasionally I'll have, you know, students ask questions about postmodernism or deconstruction or whatever, and, and I'll slide them a copy of an old book. And, yeah, I always feel a little Leo Marviny when I do that. Um, and I always caveat it to high heaven, which I'm sure you do, too. You do the, like pathologically midwestern thing <laughs> of hey i'm not trying to be arrogant here i'm not trying to be cocky not trying to have an ego <laughs> like um it, it's like i always feel like my dad's watching in those moments yeah and, and he you would end up with like here's me. a
2: book but feel free to use it as kindling like i i know yeah, no, here's a no book. problem feel free to like
1: run it over with your car and then light it on fire as soon as you get out of the building or whatever but uh yeah no and and i think that's a moment though pipe where we can we can feel appropriately proud of our work in that, like, hey, it's funny you ask about doubt. I actually wrote 200 pages about that a couple years ago. Here's a copy of the book. You know, and you you can feel okay about that. It's not bad. And you're not saying, like, I've written the definitive word on this. Um, But like, hey, here's a copy. Maybe it'll be helpful. Maybe
2: it won't. But I I hope you enjoy it. You know, and I I think you can feel okay about that. How would yeah, I'm trying to think about being on the receiving end of that because yeah. You know, it I have been in and around the sort of authoring game and the church leadership, you know, sphere for so long that it's hard for me to think like okay, so I'm a I'm a grad student at Vanderbilt and I'm really mm-hmm. struggling with direction in life and I go have a yeah. conversation with one of my pastors and they're like you know it's a good conversation and then and then at the end they're like hey I actually wrote something on this it might be helpful to you you know feel free to read it here's a copies for you and and they just yeah. give you the copy like what I feel like it was an assignment what I feel like it was a gift what I feel like yeah. it was self promotion and this guy was a total tool like I don't have a yeah. good sense of how I would receive it, it, it yeah. if it was done very just low key open handed free obviously yeah. I don't know how how do you, How do you perceive that? Because that's, I guess that's my question is, am I coming across if I do this as a jerk or am I coming across as somebody who's genuinely helping?
1: I think it totally depends on the guy. So uh, in the receiving end of that scenario, like I've had both experiences. Like I've, I've had the experience where like, I genuinely like the person and they have a book come out and they give it to me. And I'm just kind of like generally happy for them, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm, I'll be delighted to have this on my shelf." Like I have a section in my like personal bookshelf for like books by my friends, and you know, they all kind of go in there, and i'm I'm happy about it, and when I walk by it, I feel proud and and happy for them. and so that's one category. Another category is the kind <clears> of <throat> just the kind of slimy industry like hey here's a copy of my book you know subtext and sometimes people will even say like hey talk about this on your podcast you know and i'm like yeah sure i'll i'll be i'll get right on that you know and i like having no <laughs> no intention of ever mentioning it on the podcast and then there's just kind of a category where like some old guy will have like i don't know self published his uh, historical fiction about world war II or whatever. And I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, that's sweet. Yeah. I'll take it. You know, but I feel no particular obligation to read any of them, but I'd be most likely to read books by my friends who I actually like.
2: This is probably how I would break. Yeah. It down. I, and I, I agree with all of those categories. Any Anytime I have a friend mm-hmm. who releases a book, there is a sense of sort of, you know rejoicing with those who rejoice when you get that yeah. book you're like this is exciting you know i realize it's yeah. it's not life-changing but it is mm-hmm. especially if it's their first book they usually have that sort of like yeah. super giddy gleam in their eye you're like this is great i'm yeah. really happy for them even if it's like their yeah. sixth book you know still still an yeah. accomplishment yeah. yeah it's the 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 giving the the receiving of a book for leverage reasons never goes yeah. down well with me no. that And I'm always no. a little bit,
1: I'm a little bit of an a-hole in those moments where I'm not, I'm like immediately the warmth that I normally have goes away. Like the minute I realize we're having like an industry interaction, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like my, my whole, like probably my body language changes, like all the warmth that I've been emanating goes away and I'm just like, oh, I, I see what this is. Yeah, sure. I'll get right on. Yeah, this was a
2: negotiation, not a
1: conversation. I just didn't realize it. Congratulations, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, And I I think, like, and it probably works this way to a sad degree in pastoral ministry, too, especially nowadays, where it seems like everybody is leveraging everybody. Um, Like, there's a real, in me, a real kind of I'm being used here radar. And, I don't always reject being used. Like cuz I I assent to the fact that some of that is just part and parcel with the industries that we're in. But I have a much harder time with it when there's like spirituality attached to it, which I feel like is a really gross part of pastoral ministry right now, man. Um and I would have a really hard time with it if I were in it. Just in the in the sense that and you live in Nashville, uh, there's a lot of famous people in Nashville there's a lot of famous ministry people in Nashville and even just being on the internet the the whole dynamic of like somebody cozying up to you at a conference or even like sliding into your DMs there there for me there would always be the question of is this person trying to leverage me should I be trying to leverage this person and then you feel gross and discouraged by the whole thing is that something you
2: deal with yeah, but I think my approach to it is a little different just because <clears throat> I mean, my last name is Piper. People have been trying uh-huh. to get close to my dad by getting close to me since I was like 16. So, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And so yeah. the the whole like leveraging thing, I I have a radar for it and I'm also yeah. just kind of impervious to it in the sense of like I can just sort of let that roll off. It doesn't Yeah. It, it doesn't knock me off my game or make me cynical at this point it oh, well i should say it doesn't make me more cynical i'm probably just yeah. kind of perpetually low-grade cynical because my assumption is somebody's trying to get at somebody because it's nashville and everybody's yeah. you know everybody's trying to get ahead but it's uh yeah. it, it is a it is a real thing though that happens and yeah. <clears throat> you know at a at manual you know Ray Ortland started the church, and Sam Alberry attends the church, and Russell Moore yeah. attends the church, and I'm on staff at mm-hmm. the church, and so like there, in our little bubble of the evangelical world, there are names associated with our church, and they draw yeah. people. People come to. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to hear like, "Oh, I knew Sam was here. I heard Russell made the move here, or I knew you were yeah. here," and yeah, and I do have to kind of take a step back and go for whatever reason they walked through the door, the church is the church. And so yeah. we need to do yeah. what we're doing. And, and the, the names play that they don't matter. The name, the name, yeah. doesn't matter. Sam Aubrey doesn't matter. Russell Moore doesn't matter from the perspective of what are we doing here? And, and so, yeah. but it, but it does create a, a dynamic that we have to be aware of and kind of yeah. navigate with probably, in I'd say overly intentional humility, Yeah.
1: No, that's a good word, man. And that's really interesting. And I think from the layperson's perspective, I'm a layperson who, like, I have a really high view, I think, of pastoral ministry and of the office of pastor. And again, this goes back to, like, probably cockeyed idealism or romantic notions about things that that are naive, maybe. But when I see pastors... Who are so thirsty for the book deal and who are like slobbering all over each other online and I'm like guys get a room you know like it just it makes me feel sad because I feel like that's fine if you're a yeah, you know trying to be an actor or you're trying to be a musician or you're, you're holding any of these positions that kind of don't matter and that the Bible doesn't write about but like I guess I see pastors in a different light and when I see them just doing whatever the world does in terms of like slobbering all over each other just to get their next stupid, you know, $5,000 advance for a forgettable book. Like I want them to be different and I'm not sure if that's fair or unfair. Like, is that,
2: is, is it unfair of me to wish that for pastors? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I don't think it's unfair, and I I think mm-hmm. I see fewer pastors doing it for the book deal as much as just mm-hmm. the like, you know how there's guilt by association. There's also fame by association. Like Absolutely. I want a picture with. There's sort of the yeah. like association with this famous person or that famous person. That's one mm-hmm. that I have to kind of I have to kind of constantly navigate in the sense of like i i have been around famous evangelicals my entire life so name dropping i i could win most name dropping contests uh sure photos with j.i packer Mm -hmm. rick warren beth moore john piper rc Sproul Mm -hmm. whoever like that i probably have them somewhere and uh yeah but but to what end like what yeah so yeah, that I think that the sort of the, the, the clamoring for fame by association, which can then tie into book deals and book marketing and asking for endorsements and like it, it be- yeah. can become a leveraging thing very easily. All of that is on the yeah. table as something that is like, yeah, this, you know, last fall, uh, Beth Moore and Russell Moore did a podcast thing that was hosted at our church. <clears throat> like we were just kind of mm-hmm. the venue for it uh last second yeah. i was asked to em- kind of to to kind of mc and and host the q and a part of it and there's a real sense there of like i i could i could springboard off of this yeah except yeah that i really like russell more like i've known russell in some capacity for several years and and mm-hmm. almost never in a public way just sort of conversations mm-hmm. here and there um my family members of my family have gotten to know Beth more well and really like and respect her. I, have, I don't know her mm-hmm. well, but like these are, these are people I like. So yeah. if that's the case, leveraging this, like it's, it's disingenuous in the, in the human interaction and the respect for kind of who they are, what they're saying, those kinds of things. That's a long yeah. rambling answer just to be like, yeah, that, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's unfair to look at a pastor and go like, stop springboarding. You know, yeah. just knock it off. <laughs> that's, that- yeah, just be a little, be a little different. Yeah. you know, like be, be different
1: than, you know, the slimy industry person who's just who's just trying to claw their way to nothing. Um, yeah, no, that's that's true, and that's it's good, and it, the internet's made it weird. In that, I mean, thirty years ago, if I was a pastor in Indiana there was no way I could meet Ray Orland. You know what I mean? It wasn't even on the table. And it wasn't even something that I would think about. You know what I mean? If I'm a, if I'm like a small-town pastor in Indiana, short of, I don't know, buying a ticket and going to a conference and being one of 8,000 people in the Yum Center, it, it's just not even on the table. You know what I mean? And that right. was probably better because I think like... All the delusions of grandeur and all the ideation that these guys do about, like, oh, maybe I'll slide into Ray Ortland's DMs, and then we can grab a coffee at a conference, and then I'll be a, you know, substage D speaker at his next conference, or I'll be a contributor of a chapter to some compilation book. Like the, those sort of delusions and ideas were not even on the table 30 years ago for most pastors but i would say they are on the table now for most pastors and it's rare to run across a guy in pastoral ministry who's of a certain age and who has no interest in it you know um th- those guys are unicorns
2: yeah. and, and, and um, the, the internet skews perception of those guys cuz like you see somebody who's developed a following and they're constantly putting out i don't know articles or pithy statements or whatever. And you kind of are under the impression Mm -hmm. this guy must have a really significant ministry. And then you find out that he's like, you know, the associate worship pastor at a 300 person church (laughs) in in rural Kentucky. And you're like, not that that is an insignificant place to serve, but it's clear that his focus is not on serving there, but on blowing this thing out to to have a, like his, his public ministry versus his local ministry are way out of whack with one another.
1: Well, and even the public quote-unquote ministry, yeah. how much of it is actual ministry and how much of it is just persona work? Because if I'm, if I'm spending much time crafting my persona, and for every tweet that's persona-related, there's X number of minutes or hours thinking about the persona-related tweet. So pretty soon, if I'm, if I'm stacking a lot of hours doing that then it follows that I'm not spending a lot of hours doing actual ministry, which kind of calls the whole thing into question, you know, like how much, what percentage of this guy is actually a pastor and what percentage of this guy is actually just a, a, a sort of creation, you know, uh, a product. And I guess I just want my pastors to be pastors and, um, I don't like it when they start being products. Um, to a large degree, and 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 I actually think the guys that you've mentioned, um, I don't know Ray Ortland's work as well, but I I, I really um, <clears throat> I really respect Sam Alberry's work, but he doesn't seem to me like a guy who's out there being super thirsty for a bunch of retweets no. and affirmation from the internet, you know,
2: um, and I like that, you know, I find that easy to respect. Yeah, he, I mean, what you just described is is a you know that's what he is not and then what he is right I mean, he's he genuinely enjoys being part of a church and serving a congregation and he does a lot of public ministry mm-hmm. but it's actual public ministry it's going and speaking to and answering questions from and waiting in pretty deep and right. complicated waters given that he speaks on a lot of issues yeah. of gender and sexuality and like real yeah. real deep things dicey stuff yeah. yeah and uh yeah he i mean he he is that way and it it makes it it's and it's part of the reason why when somebody comes into Emmanuel with an eye on the names, we don't want to turn them away by any means, but we do want to kind of turn their perspective to be like this is a local church. We we yeah. serve here. We're members here. We're we're equals with the other people yeah. here in terms of our need for grace and our need for honesty with one another and our need for the gospel and you know we're called yeah. to serve, but we're not special. And uh, yeah you know sam embodies that really well ray embodied that really well when he was the lead pastor and so forth but it's uh, yeah. yeah yeah it's it but the perception is a temptation as well like it is easy yeah. to be what people perceive you to be
1: yeah that's right and it's and it's intoxicating to want to be that um and it provides a distraction from the hard things of life that can even be intoxicating you know what i mean um it's more fun to do persona work than it is to uh, think about brokenness in my own family or whatever, you know. So, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time doing it because it's easy and fun compared to lots of other things. But but to your point about about Ray and about Sam, like, Nashville needs that. Like, the Nashville area is kind of filthy with people who want to be somebody... And it, it's always been that way in the music industry. And I think now it's that way with ministry people. So standing kind of in that world, but sort of against it in the right ways. Yeah. Like that town needs more people like that um, just to be examples, if nothing else.
2: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's one of the things that ended up being the, it kind of folded me into a manual five, six years ago now uh, was because my outside impression was that this is a church of somebody's because I knew Ray's name and I was in the publishing industry. So if you know a name, you assume big ego driven person. I get in the door and realize that's not the case at all. And, Mm. and I I think that God has helped us sort of maintain that same level of like, it doesn't really matter what you see from the outside, what you perceive us to be. We, we just, we are just are this kind of hopefully normal uh, accessible church to, to to normal people who aren't looking for platform or ego or whatever.
1: Yeah, no, that's right, man. And um, and that's good. I think that's, yeah, that's an aspirational thing, you know, or it or it should be for, for people in ministry. And um, yeah, this has been fun, Pipe. We've been at it for like an hour and five minutes now. So uh, when, I should when probably Ronnie, land Ronnie's the plane. Here, we go one. a
2: lot longer. We do, don't we?
1: Yeah. You know, Ron's a busy guy. He's always, you know, le- leaving us to take some other meeting or whatever. But uh, I enjoyed the conversation, man. We have, uh, we have done what we always do on this program and that we've wandered to and fro throughout some topics. And until next time.
2: We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.
0: Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on LifeAudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.